There's a small sentence in that passage that may have passed you by. Right at the end of verse 26, it says, In Antioch, the disciples were first known as Christians. This was probably intended as a mocking term, meaning followers of Christ Christ or little Christ's. And uh, at the same time, followers of a, a general or military leader would receive the same suffix of I-A-N or I-A-N-S. So, for, for instance, supporters of Caesar would be known as uh, Caesarians. Uh, but why did this term arise for the church? Well, in the first century world, groups of people were defined strongly by ethnicity and class, arguably more so than today. Uh, the first century church in Antioch Uh, was comprised of slaves and the wealthy, Jews and non-Jews, Africans, Greeks, Romans, and more. And as a group, they they lacked a a common denominator by which to be fine. There was no convenient box they could be put in or or label that could be put upon them. So this this is likely the reason the term Christians became popular. And it was used not from within the church to, to identify themselves, but it was used from those outside the church Um, to identify the Christians and uh, their identity was not from their social status or race uh, but from whom they followed. Antioch was also the first Gentile church. Gentile just means non-Jewish and in the Jewish world everyone was either a Jew or a Gentile, a Jew or a non-Jew. There was a kind of very clear dividing line and Jews weren't really even supposed to associate with Gentiles. Um, earlier in the chapter, Peter had been, he'd gone a load of trouble because he'd, um, he'd been associating with Gentiles. He just, he just had dinner and a chat with them, and let alone involve them in the church. And it was this big scandal and he was hauled in front of the other leaders and he had to explain what he'd been doing and argue why it was okay. And around about the same time, he'd also had a vision from God. Um, where God told him certain foods weren't unclean. And again, in, in, in the Jewish world, certain foods were absolutely unclean. You couldn't touch them, you couldn't eat them. And these two things of Jews and Gentiles being separate and different types of foods being very separate, uh, these weren't optional extras of the Jewish faith or fringe ideas. These were core, central tenets of the Jewish faith. And to suggest even moving away a little bit from them was utterly radical. Um, having a church with Gentiles in it um, was, was scandalous. And at the time, uh, they had thought that salvation through Jesus was just for the Jews. But what it says to me and what it shows to me is this destabilization of an in-group mentality. This idea that... This is my circle. Everyone inside it is worthy and important and loved. And everyone outside it is not those things. And I would argue that the practicing of in-groups and out-groups is probably at the core of some or all of the problems in the world today. But this idea of of deconstructing the in-group idea, uh, this isn't something new. This is uh, something that Jesus modelled and practised from the moment he was born to the moment he died and and all the way in between. 
at the point of Jesus's birth, this monumental moment in history, this supernatural happening of God coming to earth, the incarnation, God becoming human. there was no kings and queens, the, the wealthy, the famous, the cream of Jewish society, they, they weren't there. There were two groups of people who had been called to be present at Jesus' birth. One was the wise men from the east, or the magi, and the other were the shepherds. Now, the wise men from the east, they were foreigners, they were Gentiles, they were followers of a pagan religions, they were heretics. They would have been persona non grata in Jewish society, yet they were called to witness the birth of Jesus. Shepherds were probably on on a lower or lowest rung of Jewish society. They spent a lot of time sleeping in the hills with their sheep. Uh, They didn't wash that much. They smelt a bit funny, uh, talked a bit funny. Um, they, They weren't valued people in Jewish society, yet it was the shepherds to whom an angel appeared and said, come and witness what is happening. And then if you fast forward to Jesus' death, as he's on the cross, one of the the final things he says is he turns to the criminal on the cross next to him, who everyone in the crowd would have thought was a terrible person, and he may well have been a terrible person. They would probably have been mocking him, spitting at him, laughing as the life slipped out of him. But Jesus turned to him, And in a a radical act of inclusion, he says to him, truly tomorrow you'll be with me in paradise. And this was this same uh, behavior, this same radical inclusivity can be seen throughout Jesus' life and ministry. Uh, There's too many examples to mention, but there's the the Samarian woman at at the well. She was a Samarian. She wasn't a proper Jew. She was a woman. She was divorced. She's not someone Jesus should have even been giving the time of day to. But he did more than that. He, he showed her love and he treated like, her like a human being. Uh, tax collectors. Tax collectors were absolutely hated in first century Israel. Now, you may think, oh, well, you know, it's kind of the same today. And, and you know, anyone who's ever done a tax return is probably not that fond of the four letters HMRC. Yet tax collectors in first century Israel were actually collaborators with uh, the Romans. They were Jews who helped the Romans extract the taxes from the local people. So they were, you know, bitterly hated, bitterly hated and seen as uh, traitors. Yet Jesus treated them just like anyone else who showed them love, gave them the time of day, and he radically included them. And prostitutes, for obvious reasons, massively looked down on in Jewish society, yet Jesus showed them love, he valued them. Romans themselves, who were the invading occupiers, uh, lepers who people literally did not want to get close to, Jesus showed them love and he reached out and even literally touched them, something that was unthinkable. And for me, this, this kind of radical inclusivity that Jesus practiced is... Uh, best summed up in a few verses from Isaiah 68. Uh, this under, this, it's like he was almost, anyone who was seen as not worthy, Jesus was magnetically drawn towards them. And these two verses from Isaiah 68 uh, were actually uh, the two verses that Jesus read in the synagogue at the beginning of his ministry. 
the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. So for me, the story of the church in Antioch is the one is one of of a beginning of radical inclusion, of valuing people who were seen as having no value, of understanding that being a Christian should should have nothing to do with race or class, but about who you follow. And what about today? Who do we need to include? Who do we need to radically include? Who does the world say has no worth? Who are the people that Jesus would have been magnetically drawn towards? I don't have time to list them all, but suffice to say, they're not in short supply. In this country and abroad. It could be that neighbour or work colleague that's quite annoying and no one likes or it could be a horrifically persecuted people group. I would encourage you to think and pray about who that might be. Who is God calling you and us to include? I'm just going to finish by rereading those two verses from Isaiah 68. And perhaps as I do, you might like to take 10 or 15 seconds just to reflect on who it might be that God is calling you to include. The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour.